0: mm uh-huh. at this time, and we're going to start reading in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter four. Today, I, I I I really had a good time yesterday studying for this message, and you know sometimes I like to just you know we on Sunday school uh, we were talking about um, we're going to be. Uh, trying to get some questions from you all we've got those cards out there we gave you last week we want you to write down questions you might have anything about the bible maybe it's i so maybe you know the answer but it's a subject you're interested in but i encourage you to try to think of stuff we don't none of us know everything about the bible but it, once we get talking about these things and searching for answers um, you just can't help but find great things in the bible and in uh, when i was studying for this and i was going through some passages in the bible about thankfulness and trying to decide what to preach and paul makes a statement in this verse about something that he had learned but he doesn't say in this passage how he learned it because it's something that we all need to learn and it's something that the world is struggling to learn and you know whenever i believe that for mo- for most of our questions if uh you know, there's some things we're not going to know till we get to heaven. But I think for the things that we need to know, the answers are in the Bible. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I want to read this passage to you. It says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul had learned, no matter where he's at, to be content. Okay, and I'm reading that, and I'm reading this passage, I'm like, well, how did he learn that? Alright, I, I want... To be able to preach a message on that. I want to I know myself how in whatever state I am, I can be content. I want to be able to pass this on to the people at my church. But he doesn't say in here how he learned to be content. And so, you know, I just ask the Lord, you know, help me find, you know, through the Bible, how Paul learned this example. And I think we can find the answer to that just from reading some of the passages in Acts through Paul's life some of Paul's other writings. We see the things that he went through. And I really believe the Lord gave me the answer for how Paul learned to be content. Because verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul, he knew how to have it all and how to have nothing. And Paul knew, in whichever state it was, whether it was in good times or bad times, Paul knew how to be content. And contentment, that is something that the world is just, everybody's looking for, but getting farther and farther, it seems, from finding it. They're doing everything wrong when it comes to getting contentment. And uh, it's something that's so hard to teach ourselves. And it is something that you kind of have to teach Yourself, you have to learn it. We are not natural, just naturally content as human beings. We're kind of naturally greedy and selfish and always wanting more. But Paul had figured it out. Paul had learned contentment, and in order to be thankful, people, you have to be content. Many people, if you were to ask them, you know, what do you have to be thankful for? If on Thanksgiving they were, I remember we used to do that. We were kids, kind of go around the table. Hey, everybody has to say something you're thankful for. And there are some people I don't think they could do it. They'd have to think for a really long time. You know why? Because all they can think about are the things that they don't have. And the things that aren't going good in their life. And they are not content where they're at. They're not happy with their life. They're not satisfied with how things are. And it's because they have not learned contentment. And it is a difficult thing to learn. It goes against our nature. But Paul learned it. So, I think if we look back at Paul's writings and also in the book of Acts, we can see exactly what it was that taught him contentment. And so first I want us to go over to Romans chapter 1. We're going to try to find out how Paul learned to be content. There's really three things that we see that Paul taught about in his writings and we can even see in his life when I believe that he learned these things, or when he kind of came to understand them himself. But in Romans chapter one in verse twenty, it says, "For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Listen, there's there's no excuse for anybody in the world today not to believe in God. I know there's a lot of atheists out there or agnostics. Those are the ones that don't want to take either position. There could be a God, but there might not be either. And there is no excuse for those people. When they stand before God someday, they're not going to be able to say, oh Lord, I was an atheist. I couldn't help it. No, they have. there is no excuse for them not to believe that there's a God. The wickedness that's going on in this world, the unnatural, just filthy abominations that are taking place every day In this world, there is no excuse for them to do that. That's just the way I am. It's the way I was born. No, there's no excuse. God has made things very clear through creation. that One, that there is a Creator. How things are supposed to be, He's made that clear in nature. He's given it to us in His Word. There is no excuse. See, then why do so many people not understand it? Well, in verse 21 it says, because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God; neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. People, the reason that they are atheists, or the reason they are uh, they don't understand the Bible, or they believe in evolution, and all this other junk that's going on in the world today, is because they don't like the way God set things up. They don't like the way God created this world. Oh, if there was a God, you know, why would He allow all this the sickness and the suffering that goes on in the world today? You know what they're saying? I don't like how God made things. And it's because they haven't studied the Bible. God made all things good, but man corrupted the world. Man brought sin into the world and all the problems. And they haven't taken the time to study it. But the truth is, they just don't like how things are. They don't like what the Bible says. The Bible tells us how to live in this present world they don't like the rules that god gave they don't like the 10 commandments that's why there's such a movement to keep them out of public places and out of courtrooms and out of the schoolhouse cuz they don't like what those 10 commandments say they don't like that thou shalt not commit adultery that's offensive to a lot of people they don't they don't they don't like that and they don't like that thou shalt have no other gods before me Well, we should be able to have whatever God we want to have, you know, freedom of religion. And you know what? As far as governments concerned, freedom of religion is okay. They ought they ought to promote that. However, that's because we need to be free to pursue the one true God. And if they, when it comes to getting to heaven, there's only one way. There is absolutely only one way. But people may they don't like the one God thing, and they don't like it. They're not thankful. And their hearts become dark. And it says in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. You notice how us religious people, according to the news media and the scientists and Hollywood, we're the foolish ones. We're the ignorant ones. We just haven't evolved enough to understand that we don't need God, that you know, science is all that we need to understand. And they act like they're the smart ones. The Bible says professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. And they are fools. Anyone who says there's no God is a fool. Anyone who says that this world was not created or this universe was not created is a fool. But it says, and some people, find there's a God, but you know what? He's not what you Christian people are saying. He's not like that. And it says in verse 23, "...and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things." They change God into... Something that He is not. A great example of that, I mean, any Hollywood movie where they do portray God, it's always just absolutely blasphemous the way they portray Him. I mean, I watched a movie about Noah's Ark. Okay? About Noah's Ark. And the way they portrayed God on there was terrible. God on there is talking to Noah and God made the statement to Noah, God decided, yeah, I know I saved you from the flood, But I'm going to go ahead and let you and your family die. And Noah, you know, he, Noah started like praying and dancing before God and it pleased God and God changed his mind. He said, I know I'm God, but even I make mistakes. And I thought, this is supposed to be a Bible movie and they just have God saying he makes mistakes. You know what they're doing? They're trying to make God the way they want him to appear. And it just boy, it aggravates me to death. I that's why I just Christian movies or Bible movies, they make me so mad sometimes. Because they do. They try to make things they try to make God the way they want him to be. Make an uncorruptible God into an image that's not who God is. That's why we don't need to be making images of God. It says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. "...without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them." Well, I can't think of a passage that describes our world better than this passage today. What has happened in our world, the world does not like who God is. They do not like what the Bible says they are not thankful for the way things are. And God says that that has caused their foolish heart to be darkened. And God has given them over. What it's saying is God has allowed their mind to change. And God allows people to do all this wickedness. He's not saying He's okay with it. A great example I've heard before, it's like a parent before, maybe you see your kid doing something they shouldn't do. Maybe they're playing with something they could get hurt. And you know it's not going to kill them or anything, but have you ever done that as a parent before? It's like, hey, I've told you not to do that. And sometimes maybe you'll just step back and you'll let them do it. And you'll let them get hurt so they can learn their lesson. And that doesn't mean you're okay with what they're doing, but you're allowing it so they can learn. And you know what? God has allowed the world to do a lot of the messed up stuff that it's doing. And they're paying dearly for it. And he's wanting them to learn their lesson, but unfortunately their hearts are so darkened they just continue in this sin. And that, and it all starts with unthankfulness. Not liking the way God made things. And Paul, I believe, all too well understood what was going on in the hearts of these people. And because a lot, Paul had learned the lesson that many have not learned, and it helped him learn. His contentment. He knew all too well what he's talking about here. Paul had fought the conviction of the Holy Spirit before. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts, chapter 9. We read the story of the apostle, or of Paul, or whose name was Saul before he got saved. He was called Saul. And we learn about his salvation experience that took place in Acts, chapter 9. In verse 36, of course, we're not going to read the whole story, but he was on the road to Damascus. Saul was on his way to persecute the church. To persecute Christians. This sounds like a great opportunity for the Lord to strike him down. He's persecuting God's people. But God is a God of love. He is a merciful God. And God wanted to save, God wanted to save Saul. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined a light about him, a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? How did Saul persecute God? Or Jesus Christ? By persecuting his people. You don't mess with God's people. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You know, it's funny. Paul, or Saul, he thought that he worshiped God. He thought he served the Lord by persecuting the Christians. And he said, who art thou, Lord? So, you know, Lord, or God, who are you? You know who God is? He's Jesus. He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then he makes a statement here. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What's God talking about there? Well, that term there, kicking against the pricks, that's going back back then when they would farm and they would have that ox that was plowing their field. They would have what was called an ox goad that they would take. It had a, it was a long uh, stick that had a sharp point on it. And if that ox would need to get going, they would go and they they poke that ox. They would they would prick that ox. And sometimes the ox would it would try to kick. It would kick its back leg, try to stop it, doing absolutely no good, accomplishing nothing. The ox, many times, it would only accomplish in hurting itself, kicking against that prick. And the apostle Paul, or Saul, I'm going to get confused there. Saul, Paul, remember they're the same guy. But before he saved, he Saul. Saul had been pricked at before. He said, "It's hard for you to get kick against the pricks." Well, when did that happen? Well, I believe one of the examples of when that happened, the Bible doesn't say for sure, but go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, I think it is, the Bible doesn't say, but I think it is very possible that Saul was at this, uh, at this message that was being preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. It says, Peter, he preaches this long sermon, and in verse 37 it says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hey, there, Peter's preaching to them, and they got pricked in the heart. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit speaking to them. He's poking at them. Let me tell you something. When you go to church and when you hear a message preached, and you and it, boy, it pricks at you and it hurts, that's a blessing of God right there. People run from churches like that all the time. They'll kick against those pricks, but that's God trying to speak to you. That's the Holy Spirit trying to talk to you. That is a privilege when you go to church and you get pricked in the heart. I know it doesn't feel good, but boy, do we need it. And Saul was on his way to hell he's on his way to work I mean to persecute Jesus Christ, and Saul has been he's been pricked at and he's been kicking at it. I believe he may have been there when Peter was preaching that message, and there were three thousand people that got saved, but Saul didn't get saved that day. Saul had gotten pricked in the heart, but Saul didn't listen. Saul didn't do what God wanted him to do. We see another ser- service or sermon that's being preached that we know Saul was at. Go to Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Stephen has just got done preaching another long message. About 53 verses is going on. And it said, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And, but unfortunately, these people didn't listen. Boy, they heard Stephen full of the Holy Ghost preaching. Let me tell you, when somebody's full of the Holy Ghost preaching, you're going to get cut to the heart. And it's going to hurt. I mean, and you, you ought to pray for that. You ought to pray that God will fill me with His Holy Spirit, and that His power will be on me. That way, I can preach the gospel in a way that it, it'll cut you up. <laughs> it'll it'll hurt a little bit. That way, you can get things right. And it says they were cut to the heart, but sometimes people don't get right. Sometimes people will get up and they'll walk out of the service. Sometimes they'll get up I and mean, they'll leave and they'll never come back. Sometimes they'll get up and speak up and want to argue with you and they'll blaspheme. But it says they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on Him with their teeth. That's the first time Saul's name was mentioned. I don't know he was at that message that Peter was preaching. I think it's very possible he was. Because the Bible says he was, he was kicking against the pricks. It says there they were pricked in the heart. And here it says they were cut to the heart. And Saul was there, but Saul didn't listen. Saul didn't repent. Saul didn't get saved that day. You know what Saul did? He consented unto the death of Stephen. When it says they laid their coats on us, he held the coats of the people. He was consenting to the death. They're like, hey, he was an authority figure. They had to go through some channels before they were able to go and stone somebody. They had to get approval by somebody that was kind of high up. And Saul was one of those people. And Saul allowed them to stone Stephen. He allowed them to kill God's servant. Stephen was the first martyr that there ever was. And Saul was the one that allowed it to happen. He was cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit spoke to his heart, but he didn't listen. Saul was determined to kill these Christians. He was determined to stop Christianity. And we see these these examples where Saul was kicking against those pricks. Where he wasn't, he wasn't listening like he was supposed to. But there was a time, thank God, when Saul finally surrendered to God's plan. Saul liked the Jewish religion. Saul liked... What they were, what he was doing before, but Jesus came and he fulfilled all that Old Testament law. He did the final sacrifice and Saul didn't like it, but thankfully Saul finally got to where he realized, hey, I'm wrong. I've been doing the wrong thing. I have been persecuting God's people. I've been persecuting Jesus Christ and Saul repented of his sins. Paul got it right. Paul got baptized. and Paul He started serving God. God changed his name to Paul. He wasn't Saul anymore. He was a different person. And God gave him a new name. And Paul, he had surrendered to God's plan. He said, enough with my plan. Enough with what I'm doing. I'm going to serve God. And that's what people need to do if they're going to ever be happy, if they're going to be contentment. You've got to surrender to God's plan. I know it might be your plan to be a millionaire, but that might not be God's plan. It might you might be your plan to do one thing, but if God has something else for you, we've got to surrender to what God wants for our life and many people will never be content because they are just determined they are going to have their way. And we've got to understand that God's way is better than our way. And Saul finally figured that out and he got saved and it changed his whole life. But I don't believe it was just Saul's finally surrendering to God's plan. I believe it was something that, if we're gonna be content, it's something that, it's a daily thing. There may come a time in your life where you finally get content, but you can lose that contentment real fast if you're not careful. And Saul had learned in whichever state he was in to be content. It's a daily thing. And I believe another thing that Paul did that helped him be a content person was he reminded himself of what he deserved. Paul recognized who he really was. Go to First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. I've got a lot of passages of scripture. I might not have time to get to all of them. But First Timothy chapter one and verse twelve, and it says, "And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy." because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. Saul understood, hey, God was merciful to me his grace was abundant on me and that's because that was his intention from the beginning to come to save sinners and here's here's the truth of it he said I'm chief of sinners I'm top sinner I I, I was as bad as you can get I deserved hell As much if not more than anyone else. And Jesus Christ saved my soul. And let me tell you something, if we would remind ourselves of what we really deserve, I think we'd be more thankful. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be called the children of God. But He saves us anyway. We don't deserve the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But He made that sacrifice. He gives us that gift of eternal life. We don't deserve it. People these days, they get all upset when you talk about hell. How dare you think I deserve hell? How dare you think you don't deserve hell? Who do you really think that you are? I mean, you really think Jesus came and died for absolutely nothing? I mean, who do you think you are to think that you know more than God does? That you know more than the Word of God? How dare you think you don't deserve hell? How prideful can you possibly be to think that you don't don't deserve that one day? How dare you think that you are good enough to go to heaven and enter into the presence of a holy God? How arrogant can you possibly be to think that? Paul was not like that. Paul understood who he was. He was chief of sinners. And for Paul, he understood that the fact that I am not in hell am proves I am getting better than I deserve. And that was his attitude. And so Paul was able to be content. We all today, just the fact that we are breathing and not burning in that eternal fire of hell is proof that God is merciful to us and that God is good to us and we ought to be content. But Paul, he had learned also he had learned what was really important see the reason people are not content and the reason people are not thankful is they they don't understand what's important we've got young people out there they don't think they think their life stinks because they haven't got the latest and greatest cell phone there's teenagers out there you know they're 16 years old and maybe they don't have their own car yet and they think they're a victim and that their life is difficult and uh, I mean, we've got adults out there because they're not living in a mansion. That you know, they've been shortchanged somehow. We've got people all over this country that are, I mean, just envious of the rich and begging the government to take from someone else and give to them because they're not thankful with what they have. I mean, it's not enough that they have food and clothing. They want everything else that everybody else has, and they don't care how they have to get it there's people that will steal and that will take and do whatever because they don't understand what's really important. Paul understood what was really important. And go in Philippians chapter 3, we start in Philippians 4 where he said he learned, he had learned to be content. And then in Philippians chapter 3, we don't have time to read through this whole passage, but I encourage you to read all of Philippians chapter 3 and also to remember that Philippians where he said I have learned to be content was written from prison. It was written from prison. All right, you try being content in prison. Uh that's uh that's couldn't be easy. But it says in verse 3, or chapter 3 verse 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal and persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul was saying, hey, if you want to trust in the flesh and being good enough to get to heaven, when it comes to that Old Testament, I was there. As far as what man could do, Paul, he was good In that area, in that area. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was a very well respected Jew. I mean, stock of Benjamin. He was a member of the elite. He was somebody that people looked at and respected. He had it all as far as that one. He had the bloodline, I guess. He had the position. He knew who he was. But then in verse 7, it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul really, when he went to serve Christ, he lost everything. I believe he was probably a very wealthy person before he got saved. He had position. He had wealth. He had prestige. He had all those things. And he lost every bit of it. But he says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And I think we all know what dung is. It's pretty nasty stuff. And he says, that's what I look at those things at. The money, the power, the position, all those things that people go after. He said, I lost those things and I count them as dung. What do we do with dung? We get rid of it. We don't ever want to see it again. We flush it down the toilet and we don't miss it. We don't ever want want to see it again. Because it's nothing. It's disgusting. And Paul said the things of this life, they are nothing. Compared to what I am looking for, he said that's what that stuff is. It is that bad. Paul knew what was important. Paul knew what it was like to have wealth, position, respect, and he also knew what it was like to have the opposite. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Now Paul here, Notice he uses the term "I speak as a fool," because if you're not, it almost sounds like Paul maybe could be bragging, or he could even be trying to get sympathy for himself. And Paul knew better than to do that. And he said, "I'm speaking as a fool here. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one." Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul knew what it was like to have it all, and he knew what it was like to suffer like you and I will never understand. But yet, Paul learned to be content because Paul understood when he was going through those hard times, that he was in the will of God that Paul was looking for that crown of righteousness. Paul understood that all those things that he was working for was going to have eternal rewards. Paul figured out what was really important. And therefore, he was thankful. Whenever Christmas came around, he didn't care if he didn't get as many Christmas presents as the next person. He wasn't out on Black Friday knocking people down trying to save two bucks because he understood that, hey, what I have is way better. He understood what was important. And therefore, he was able to be content. He surrendered to God's plan. He, Look, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to do what God wants. He reminded himself of what he really deserved. He learned what was really important. And therefore, he was able to be content. He was able to be thankful. Thankfulness does not just happen to certain lucky people. Thankfulness is something that you need to learn for yourself. And if it was possible for Paul to learn, that's possible for any of us. We've been commanded to be thankful. First Thessalonians, I said, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The truth is, we don't have any reason not to be thankful. I don't believe anybody that lives in America has a right not to be thankful. But yet, unthankfulness, unfortunately, it abounds. In a great way, and if we're if you're going to be thankful, you're going to have to learn thankfulness. You're going to have to learn contentment. You have to teach yourself. We try to teach our kids that, but ultimately they're going to have to learn it for themselves. And the apostle Paul did, and he he learned it, and it didn't matter what state. like, well, if I ever get out of this mess, I'm, and I'll learn to be content. No, you have to learn it in the bad times as well as good times. Anybody can be content when everything's going great. Anybody can do that. But it takes something special to be content during the bad times. Paul learned it. And I believe we see how in his writings. We've got to do those three things. Surrender to God's plan. Say, alright, forget what I want for my life. I'm going to do what God wants. Remind yourself often of what you deserve. We deserve to be in hell today. And remind yourself of what's really important. So with that, let's all stand together. Our heads bowed and eyes closed.